We are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. And I'm Jordan. How you doing? Stressed. Yeah. All kinds of computer problems. We've had some technical difficulties Dang. and Jordy's blood pressure is high. Bunch of fucking simple solutions, but they're impossible to find. Technology. But we'll get, we got there. It's rough. <sighs> Man. Stress. Yeah. Welcome to episode 11. We're talking about Alcatraz today. Mm-hmm. The Rock. Yes. As Sean Connery likes to say. <laughs> and a lot of other people, but he said it best, probably. <laughs> Um, this is going to be a two-parter. I, uh, I put the notes in chronological order, so we're just going to go for an hour, see where that leads us, and then follow up with part two the following Monday. So, um, before we jump into Alcatraz, we got some notes we want to share. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How many downloads we at? 2.3 thousand. 2.3 thousand. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. More than 2,000. Yeah. By 0.3. So that's really exciting. Thank you to everybody who's listening to us and downloading our episodes. Uh-huh. It couldn't be possible without y'all. Mm-hmm. Y'all. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we couldn't download it 2,000 <laughs> times. True. That'd be a lot of work. <laughs> so it's just easier if you guys listen to us. Yeah, just, yeah, just download them. That's yeah. fine. Um, we want to give a shout out to Jessica who left us a review on Apple Podcasts and gave us a five star review. Mm-hmm. Thank you to her. We really appreciate it. Want to give a shout out to Dead Academy Podcast. Go give those ladies a listen and they will take you through the world of true crime. Um, some pretty gnarly stuff. Mm hmm. And some F bombs, which is neat. F bombs. Everybody loves those. Lots of F bombs. <laughs> I'm probably, a fan. I'm probably, a fan of F bombs. They're like an R rated show. We're probably like PG 13, 13. sometimes an R. Mm-hmm. They might even go to like NC 17 <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but we love it. What is it like? You can say fuck like two times in a PG 13 movie? Yeah. So now we're at the quota. So we've, uh, we've hit it. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Two minutes and 28 seconds in. We here. So we might be R rating this episode. <laughs> um, so yeah, go give them a listen and show them some love. We also wanted to um, tell you about the Late Night Slice. It's our friends Dan and Addison who talk about... Pizza. Pizza. Delicious looking <laughs> pizza. No. they Their latest episode that just dropped was about 80s and 90s <laughs> movies action they should have probably invited me in because i know a lot about a lot of Mm. that stuff i was just imagining their like whole podcast just called the late night slice and they just the whole thing just eating one slice of pizza and they're like that was pretty good that was pretty good (laughs) see you next week (laughs) took an hour yeah like this week we got papa john's (laughs) (laughs) at the end it's the same review that was pretty good that was pretty good we'll give it four stars (laughs) that's funny and then, as always, thank you to Hook CMEC for our partnership with them. Go um, follow them. They are a media company. Um, so go go give them some support as well. Mm-hmm. As always, you can buy stuff from you us. You can. We have things to buy. We have things mm-hmm. um, on our store. Yes. MrHistoryPodcast.com. Yep. Uh, you <clears> can <throat> also view all of our episodes. Give us... 
uh, some love, send us an email. Yep, send us an audio message. Audio Still waiting on that. Still waiting. It's only been like 10 weeks. Come on, people. Not mad, just a little mad. Come on, people. He's very angry today, so I don't know what's going to happen. I'm in a mood. But maybe. Everything. Everything. If things, let me tell you a little bit about Jordan. (laughs) So if things don't go perfectly exactly the way they're supposed to go. (laughs) If there's any sort of inconvenience, like say he's walking in a hallway and there might be something in the hallway that he has to walk around, he's no. pissed. No. Super pissed not because true. it's not the way it should be. No, it's just everything that should be easy is never easy. Like this. Like we've done this 10 times now and it's worked fine. And today we go to record and one of the mics isn't working. I feel like you forget history, my friend. What do you mean? I feel like every time we spend a good 30 minutes messing with shit. No. But yeah. it's just like, even like, anytime you go to fix something, you're like, oh, this will be easy. And then something fucking happens. Just be thankful, because that means you're alive. If stuff's going wrong, that means you're alive. Yeah, true. But it could be easier. It could be easier. <laughs> could be harder. True. You could only it could have, always be harder, but man. You could only have one arm. Nothing. You always go into something like, oh, this will be fun. It'll be easy. And then all of a sudden, it takes up. There's a shit I gotta storm. tell you, the beginning of this is never fun for me. Because <laughs> I can't. Because I can't look at you. I can't make any noise. You get mad at the dog for just existing. I don't know. <laughs> she runs into everything. She's so cute, but man, she just like, she's a bulldozer. So angry. She just runs so. into the legs of the table. She'll run into you. She'll... We just need some anger management classes. Oh, I'm fine. For both of us, probably. I'm perfect. Yeah, okay. I'm a delight. Okay. So, let's t- talk t- about your time at Alcatraz. Talk, to talk, talk, talk. <laughs> Because you could have spent some time there with your anger issues. You're dumb. Yeah. You're dumb. See? See what I deal with? You're stupid. So I'm taking applications for a new host. (laughs) (laughs) If anybody wants to get in on this, email me, mysteryhistorypod. You a motherfucker. Just kidding. I couldn't do without you, unfortunately. (laughs) Because if if I could, I would, but (laughs) I can't. Okay. okay. I deserve that. Yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> All right. So moving on. We're available on Instagram also. Yes. Mystery History Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, where else are we? Mm, pretty We're, much everywhere. Yeah. Facebook. But we don't really use Facebook all that much because people aren't all about Facebook no, it's, anymore. It's yeah, harder to like yeah, interact with people. We don't people. get engagement with yeah. Anything. Yeah. Same thing with Twitter. It's hard to get traction on Twitter. So yeah, it's I don't know just, about like, that machine. Mostly Instagram because yeah, it's easier. We yeah. can post pictures of what's going on, and we we got we got twenty seven thousand. No, twenty seven hundred. <laughs> Close. I'm bad at math. Comma twenty seven hundred <laughs> people. Yes. So that's you, pretty cool. You still don't sound confident. No, I'm not. I'm looking at you like. Mm. That's how much it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. We've been. I've been to start posting pictures of like each um, after each topic and stuff. Post pictures of like what we talked about. Yeah, because I was kind of before just posting like what's coming up and stuff like that. But yeah, kind of got into like overview throughout the week of mm-hmm. the thing we talked about. So and in my notes, I've got a lot of pictures for us to look at. Mm-hmm. I know you're a fan. Picture books. I love picture books. Can't read, so that's cool. Can't read. So, (laughs) yes. Um, What else we got? What else we got coming? Patreon. Yeah. There's a link to that on our website also, or you can go to patreon.com slash mystery podcast. And there we are. Yep. Just waiting. Just just waiting on you. (laughs) All right. Well, shall we? We shall. Okay. Why don't you tell us about it? 
So Alcatraz is a maximum security federal prison that is 1.25 miles off the coast of San Francisco, California, which began as a military fort. The, the prison gains its notoriety for its location, inmates, and paranormal activity that still haunts the grounds. The prison was in operation from 1934 to 1963. The site was nicknamed The Rock. The Rock. That kind of surprised me. I thought it was, it was really famous for only being in, what is that, 30, 29 years? Well, yes. I mean, in operation, you mean like yeah, for prison? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the beginning because it didn't just start there. Okay. So let me let me tell you about it. So in the beginning, let's let's go way back. Way, way back. To 1775. Whoa. Way back. Way back. There was a Spanish explorer named Juan Manuel de Ala, Ayala. Mm-hmm. One more time? Ala la la. I don't think so. Yep, that's it. He <laughs> mapped and named Alcatraz Island and named it La Isla de los Alcatraz. Or the Alcatraz. island or the island of the Pelicans due to its large population of seabirds. Hmm. So fast forward <laughs> to 1850, President Millard Fillmore signed orders reserving the island for military use. Okay. Then in 1853, the U.S. military began construction on Fort, uh, of a fort on Alcatraz Island to defend the San Francisco Bay as part of the Northwestern's defense strategy during the Civil War. Hmm. There were 100-plus cannons installed and around the island, and it became home to the West Coast's first operational lighthouse. Wow. And I'm a fan of lighthouses. Pretty neat. I think they're so pretty and beautiful and functional, you know, because then ships won't crash so that's important okay i like the list yeah (laughs) solid things um then in 1859 11 soldiers arrived on the island for confinement and during the civil war alcatraz was used to imprison soldiers accused of desertion or other crimes as well as citizens accused of treason you know what treason is yep (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you tell us what it is? That's when you like go against the state, right? Yeah. So like, like state secrets or yeah. yes. You just go against. Blasphemous yeah. against the president. Yeah, that guy. The man. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> on one occasion, the crew of a Confederate ship was incarcerated there. Incarcerated. Incarcerated. <laughs> It was assumed that no inmate could escape Alcatraz by swimming and surviving. The inmate population continued to rise during the Spanish-American War in 1898. In 1907, Alcatraz is retired by army as a fort, but still remained a military prison. And by 1908, the army began building a massive concrete cell house. And they used the inmates, like you do, to create a 600-cell structure. And it still stands today, uh, along with a hospital, a mess hall, and other prison buildings. Um, this was actually the world's largest reinforced concrete building. Hmm. Man, 1908. Could you imagine how that's they got the materials out there? A ship? Yeah, but that's... 1908 of, ships are a little different. And then a lot of, <laughs> lot of carrying, which yeah. I'm not really a fan no. of carrying. No. Wheelbarrows are better. Yeah. But. Or just not doing it at all is like true. The perfect situation. <laughs> okay, the Rock. In 1933, the prison is transferred from the War Department to the Department of Justice, and Alcatraz reopens as a federal penitentiary meant for high-profile criminals. 
The facility officially opened on July 1st, 1934. The first warden, James A. Johnston, hired one guard for every three prisoners, and each prisoner had their own cell, which is that's nice. That is nice. You don't have a cellmate. Yeah, you don't have to worry about getting raped. Or shanked. Well, shanked. you take it, like, to the, to the top. I mean, that's the worst. That would be the I mean, worst. I was thinking stabbed, but that's, like, a different type of stabbing. It's still a stab. <laughs> still a thrust motion, I would assume. Damn. This is, that's dirty. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> the prison was designed to isolate the men from contact with the outside world and had no rehab- rehabilitation program. Yeah. That was a little stumble there. The inmates housed at Alcatraz were the worst of the worst, and people who were sent there were too difficult or too dangerous to be handled by any other penitentiary. It was known as the prison, the prison systems prison. Mm. That's a confusing statement. That is prison systems prison. Yeah, it typically housed two hundred and sixty to two hundred seventy-five prisoners, which is about one percent of the entire federal inmate population. So really, if you think about it, there wasn't like a whole lot of people there. Mm-mm. And they were all in their own cell. That's, I wonder, I'd imagine most federal penitentiaries are like that. Like the top tier prisons are probably, they don't have cellmates. Not yeah, because they'll about kill it. each other. Yeah, that's, that yeah. makes sense. Yep. And then um, we've got, I got a picture that we can post oh, of like the, um, ah, Okay, sorry, my notes were all crazy. So the outside of the prison, where everything was, um, and then the inside. So they had a kitchen area, a dining hall, an exercise yard. Um, A typical cell layout was five by nine. Um, We'll talk more about, like, what's in their cell later. But they had a library, and I thought it was interesting. They had named their halls like their um the walkways and they were like michigan avenue times square broadway hmm. um what is that park avenue sunrise alley um so that was funny um to me that they named them that yeah that's interesting i wonder why they did that so um next we're going to talk there was a lot of famous inmates that came through alcatraz so um so i took the the most famous, and we're going to talk about them, um, and then we'll also get into a few of the escapes and the Battle of Alcatraz. Oh, yes. Um, so the first one was in 1931. Al Capone, um, Al Scarface Capone was a Chicago gangster during the Prohibition era. He was convicted for tax evasion. He was fined $80,000 and sentenced to 11 years in the federal penitentiary. Um, Al Capone started in Atlanta, but he quickly paid the guards off for more privileges and special requests. So pretty much he owned that prison. Um, in 1934, Attorney General Homer Cummings, what a name, and Sanford Bates, head of the federal prison, made arrangements for him to be moved to Alcatraz without notice so he couldn't fight it. Capone was placed on a secure prison railroad car along with 52 other inmates and was sent to Alcatraz. Uh, Once Capone arrived, he was greeted by Warden Johnston, who gave him the prison number AZ-85. Capone made several attempts to buy the warden to allow special privileges, but they were all denied. Capone eventually gave up and quoted, It looks like Alcatraz has got me licked. 
He spent four and a half years in Alcatraz and held a number of jobs. His time was not easy, and once while working in the prison basement, an inmate standing in line for a haircut got into an argument with him and stabbed him with a pair of scissors. Damn. Yeah. Talking about shanks. Now we're talking. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for a shank. (laughs) It happened real early. (laughs) Um, Capone was transferred to Terminal Island, um, or I'm sorry, Capone was sent to prison, prison hospital and released with a minor wound. Capone was then transferred to Terminal Island Prison in Southern California in 1938 after he showed complications of syphilis. Hmm. And he'd actually had syphilis for years and years. Mm-hmm. He was released in 1939 and actually died on January 25th, 1947 in Miami Beach from complications of syphilis. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. You didn't know that? I didn't know that syphilis was a thing that you could die from. Yeah, like rot your brain, basically. Yeah. That's wild. Um, so I've got a picture here that you can't see yet, um, of the warden had note cards for all of their inmates, which was pretty cool. Um, and it gave, you know, a reason for transfer rule violations that he might've had, um, and their criminal history. So it's pretty cool. He Mm -hmm. was not a good looking man. He's very Midwestern looking. Very round. He's actually from New York. Yeah. Which he's like started in New York and went to Chicago. But you got to do an episode on him too because he's pretty fascinating. Yeah. He's yeah. He was in a lot of shenanigans. Mm-hmm. So, so that is the story of Al Capone and his time at Alcatraz. So the next one here is George Machine Gun Kelly. George Kelly Barnes was always a troublemaker, but it wasn't until he enrolled at Mississippi State University in 1917 that things really started going downhill for him. Uh, Kelly met a woman named Geneva Ramsey. That's a that's Geneva. A, that's a that's a name right there. Um, the two fell in love, quit school, and got married. They had two children, and George worked long hours as a cab driver, but they continually struggled with money. At 19 years old, it was too much for him, and he separated with his wife. That's crazy to be married and divorced by 19. Yeah, and and had two children. Yeah, that's that's insane. He then started bootlegging. He enjoyed the money and gained notoriety. He was arrested on several occasions for illegal trafficking and decided to, or he decided to leave Memphis with his new girlfriend. He took um, on the alias George R. Kelly so that his bad behavior would not affect his family back home. He would probably not go by R. Kelly today. (laughs) If he knew. Dang. Yeah. Too soon. Yep. By 1927, he had a reputation as a seasoned gangster and served several jail sentences. In 1928, he was caught smuggling liquor into an Indian reservation and was sentenced to three years in Leavenworth Penitentiary. He served out another long sentence in New Mexico for a similar conviction in 1929, and afterwards he went to Oklahoma City where he befriended a small-time bootlegger named Steve Anderson. That doesn't sound like a bootlegger. Anderson? Steve Anderson. Sounds like a teacher. (laughs) Like a fucking nerd. Uh, Kelly soon fell in love with Anderson's girlfriend, Catherine Thorne, who was also a seasoned criminal. Thorne had come from a family of gangsters and was arrested for robbery and prostitution. Slut. <laughs> so slut. I think it's not. Uh, Thorne was twice divorced. Thorne. 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 Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Thorne was twice divorced, and her second husband was a bootlegger who had been shot to death mysteriously and was suspected that Thorne had shot him. Um, as she made several comments that she was going to kill the goddamn Charlie Thorne. 
Mm. That's a pretty good reason to think she did it, I would say. I would say that's the smoking gun. Yeah, I would say case closed. Yep. Is another thing you could say. We just solved it. <laughs> we solved the mystery. <laughs> Kelly and Catherine married in Minneapolis in September 1930. With Catherine's influence, Kelly had went to work for a small-time criminal to be public or he went from a small-time criminal to be public enemy number 1. Catherine purchased a machine gun for Kelly and took the spent uh, gun cartridges and gave them out as souvenirs from her husband, Machine Gun Kelly. She was a real entrepreneur. She was. She takes advantage of the situation. Yeah. Catherine was the creator of the Machine Gun Kelly image and was the mastermind behind several bank robberies that he pulled uh, throughout Texas and Mississippi. In 1933, the FBI published wanted posters describing Kelly as an expert machine gunner. I feel like it's not hard to be an expert. You just kind of... You just spray it. Yeah, you just sweep it. That's, yep. In 1933, Catherine and Kelly planned to kidnap a wealthy oil tycoon, Charles Urschel. Kelly, who carried his trademark Tommy gun along with two other men, broke into the Urschel's mansion in Oklahoma City, where Urschel was playing a game of bridge with friends. Kelly stormed in, threatening to blow everyone's head off. That's, that'll get your attention. That's aggressive. Yeah, mm. that'll do it. The two hostages were not cooperative, and Kelly was not able to determine which man was which. Um, they took they took them both and searched for ID. They figured out who was who finally after finding the ID of Urschel's friend, Walter Jarrett. They robbed him of $51 and left him on the side of a, of a deserted road. $51, the big bucks. Yeah. Well, back Probably in was 33. Back in the day. Yeah. Urschel was taken uh, into hiding at a ranch in Texas, and Kelly, the Kelly gang demanded $200,000 ransom from his family. That's, yeah. That's, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. The Urschel family friend E.E. E. Kirkpatrick made arrangements to drop the ransom of, in bills of $20 in the LaSalle Hotel in Kansas City on July 30th, ending an eight-day hostage situation. The next day, Urschel uh, released, was released near, near Norman, Oklahoma, and casually walked into a restaurant where he called a cab. Urschel was smart, and even though he was blindfolded, he left his fingerprints everywhere and counted his footsteps and made notes of the sounds he heard, which he gave to the FBI. That's smart. That is smart. That would take, I would, I would be so, like, I would try to count, and then I'd be like, oh, was I on 50 or what? And then, like, how many times did he count his steps? That takes some skill to mm-hmm. be able to, like, remember all that stuff. I've heard of people doing that when they get, like, they kidnapped and they put, put like, a bag over their head. Yeah. And then they can... Kind Tell of them where, like where how many they turns they where the turns they took and stuff like that. That's yeah. interesting. That's pretty amazing to be able to have that mindset whenever you're being kidnapped. Yeah, when you're That's, freaking out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Kelly gang split the ransom money, and Catherine and Kelly started hopping state to state to stay ahead of the FBI. The FBI raided the ranch Urschel was held in, and made the arrest of one of the group. The money that had been given for ransom was traceable by serial numbers, so they started a nationwide search for Kelly. Uh, George and Catherine had settled in Chicago. They both dyed their hair to conceal their identities, but led a lavish lifestyle. After several weeks of hiding, they made their way to Memphis to stay with a friend, John Titchener. Mm. On the morning of September 26, 1933, Memphis police, along with the FBI, surrounded the Titchener house and, or Titchener house and raided the house. Kelly uh, coined the phrase, G-men, please don't shoot. <laughs> um Kelly was found hungover still in his pajamas, and Catherine was still in bed asleep. What a way to wake up. Yeah, no kidding. 
The couple was flown to Oklahoma where they both received life sentences. All the accomplices were caught and six were also given life sentences. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Kelly was transferred to Leavenworth in Kansas and Catherine was sent to a federal prison in Cincinnati. Right down the road. Right down the road. Kelly bragged to officials um, and the press that he would escape, break out, break out his wife, and then they would spend Christmas together. <laughs> That's a bold statement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, officials took the threat seriously, and in August 1934, Kelly, Kelly and his accomplices were transferred to Alcatraz. They arrived on September 4th, 1934, and Kelly became inmate AZ number 117. In Alcatraz, Kelly continued to boast about his several robberies and murders that he never actually committed. The warden considered him to be a model inmate, which is surprising. Yeah. His life at Alcatraz was uneventful. He took a job as an altar boy in the prison chapel, worked in laundry, helped the industry's office, and uh, served out his time quietly. Warden Johnson said Kelly would become depressed when he received mail from his family members and failed to write letters back. Um... He seemed to have remorse for his crimes and that his wife was treated too harshly. Even though she was a mastermind. Yeah. She kind of, she had it coming. Yeah. Um, inmate Willie Radke shared the cell next to Kelly and got they got to know each other well. Um, they worked together and Kelly told Radke tales of his life. Nearly every night he would accuse Radke of snoring and reach out of his cell to slap him in the head with a magazine. <laughs> That's hilarious. Warden Johnson said that Kelly wrote several letters to Urschel apologizing and begging that he would help plead his case. Urschel never responded to any of Kelly's letters. No. Imagine that. I wouldn't either. <laughs> yeah, he just mad because he got caught. Mm-hmm. Kelly was returned to Leavenworth in 1951 and d- died of a heart attack on July 18th, 1954, on his 59th birthday. Catherine was released from prison in 1958 and took a job at Oklahoma Hospital as a bookkeeper. And then, yeah, there's a picture here. We'll post to him. And he's got really pretty blue eyes. He did, I don't know if that's the f- the recoloring, because that, that picture originally wasn't in color. Yeah. But, yeah, he does have really, like, white eyes. Yeah. And he had dyed his hair super blonde mm-hmm. whenever he was caught. So. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. The next one is Roy Gardner. Roy Gardner was once America's most infamous prison escapee during the Roaring Twenties. He's also known as the Great American, last Great American train robber. Um, he stole over three hundred and fifty dollars in cash, and he also had a five thousand dollar reward on his head three times in less than one year. Hmm. I don't know how that <laughs> happens though, because if you've got a reward on your head and you're never caught, well, probably from three different. But he was caught. Entities. And then escaped several times. Let's let's dive into that. <laughs> he was dubbed the Smiling Bandit, the Mail Train Bandit, and the King of Escape Artists. Oh. Um, Gardner was raised in Colorado Springs and began his outlaw life as a gun runner in 1906. He smuggled and traded arms and ammunition to... Why do I always get these? <laughs> to the Vinciano Carranzo forces. Yeah. Nailed it. Okay. And was captured <laughs> by their soldiers and sentenced to death by firing squad. On March 29th, 1909, he broke out of the Mexican City Jail after him. Where did that accent come from? 1909. <laughs> fucking in and out with the accents here. <laughs> Don't judge me in the way I speak. Oh, man, that was funny. 1909. (laughs) Anyway, 
That's when he broke out of the Mexican city jail after him and three others attacked the guards. He went back to the U.S. where he was a prize fighter in the Southwest. He became a sparring partner for heavyweight champion J.J. Jeffries. You know who he is? Nope. Nope, because it was way a long time ago. It sure was. Um, 1909 to be 1909. exact. 1909. <laughs> after, after he gambled away all of his boxing money, he went to San Francisco where he robbed a jewelry store. He was arrested for that and sent to San Quentin. He was paroled after he saved a prison guard's life during a riot. What? <laughs> prison guy. Prison guy. Guard. Guard. What did it say? One of them prison guys' lives. He saved them. Shit. Gardner went to work as a welder on Mare Island in the Navy Yard, married and had a daughter, and left his current company to create his own welding operation. Hmm. Gardner had again gambled away all of his money. He must have a problem. I think so. And robbed a U.S. mail truck of $80,000 in cash and goods. In on a mail truck? Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, on April 16th, 1920, outside of San Diego. <laughs> a whale's vagina. San <laughs> He was arrested three days later while trying to bury all the loot that he just stole. He would become familiar to law officers uh, as Jesse James. Gardner was sentenced to 25 years at McNeil Island Federal Pen for armed robbery, where he vowed to never serve out his full sentence. So he was going to get out of there. Mm -hmm. While being transported outside of Portland, Oregon, Gardner looked out the window of a train and yelled, Look at that deer! (laughs) The lawman looked, (laughs) (laughs) and Gardner grabbed a gun from the holster and then disarmed the other guard. (laughs) Oldest trick in the book. Classic. Hey, look over there. What? What? Oh, shit, he got my gun. (laughs) He handcuffed the two officers and stole $200, then jumped off the train and started heading to Canada. That's fucking hilarious. That is. God dang. Uh, What's up with these people, though? Like, they get caught, and then, like, he he said he'll he'll never serve out his full sentence, and Machine Gun Kelly's like, I'm going to bust out of here. Why do they do that? Like, that's... Well, because he was... Gardner was right. Well, yeah, but it's still stupid to be like... They're obviously going to not take that lightly. (laughs) All it took was one look at the deer (laughs) trick. (laughs) And that's all she wrote. That's so funny. man. So he went back to the U.S. (laughs) the next year and started robbing more banks and more mail trains. He went back to California and tied up a mail clerk to a train and robbed the car of $187,000. That's insane. On May 19th, 1921. $187,000 was probably like... Yeah, probably close to a million. Yeah. I was going to say like billions. How do you... Let's see. How do you even like get... I feel like that's so much... Even Is it like cash? How do you carry it? Exactly. <laughs> um, what year was that? 1921. 21 to... 2020, let's see. Be a million dollars. Oh, I was close. Close to a million. Wow. Yeah, I don't know how you carry all that. Maybe you brought like a lot of duffel bags. Wait, I lied. So this, I don't know why this article is so specific. A value of $160,000 in 1921 is 2 million, 2 million. So I was closer. Just above a million, two million. Yeah. Because I said billion. I guess. <laughs> We're playing pleasure right rules. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, so he stole that $187,000. The next morning, he robbed another train and then darted down the tracks with an armful of mail, just hoping that there was money in it. <laughs> 
he now had a reward on his head for $5,000. I feel like if you stole 187000 you could go a little higher than 5000 <laughs> for low. the reward. I wonder how many people were like, I never got my mail. Right. <laughs> right. What happened to those like, poor people? Like, sure you didn't. Gardner <laughs> was recognized at a hotel while playing a game of cards, so he still didn't learn his lesson about the whole gambling, gambling thing. Yep. The police were called and agents swooped in and captured him. He was sentenced to another 25 years at McNeil Island for armed robbery of the mail trains. He tried to reduce his sentence by telling detectives he would lead them to the spot he buried his loot. The detectives went to the spot and found nothing. And Gardner stated, I guess I had forgotten where I buried that money. I love this This man. This guy's hilarious. (laughs) He um, He was heavily chained. And because last time he got out and was transported by train to McNeil Island during the journey, Gardner asked to use the bathroom where previously one of his associates had hidden the 32 caliber pistol. Gardner came out of the bathroom, pointing the gun at the officers and ordered another prisoner to handcuff him. He took their weapons and their cash, then hopped onto another moving train outside of Castle Rock, Washington. I bet these officers are just like, damn, (laughs) did it again. This guy can't be stopped. Yeah. yeah it's making these these fucking cops look like dumb cartoon characters. Yeah. Like. The largest manhunt in Pacific Coast history began looking for him. Um, he was known as the boldest holdup man, the cleverest, and most slippery prisoner to be ever placed under arrest. I would agree. I mean. Yeah. He's not really. <laughs> he's just, just those guys are dumb. Yeah. Look at that deer. I wouldn't call him a fucking mastermind. (laughs) Maybe deer were like (laughs) elusive creatures back in the day. Um, (laughs) He was described as a dangerous man who would shoot on sight and must be captured at all costs. He again had a $5,000 bounty on his head. I feel like it should just go up to 10. At least. At least. At least, yeah. Gardner arrived in Centralia, Washington. He plastered his face with bandages to hide his identity and only left one eye like a little slit so he could see through it. Pretty smart. He he told the Oxford Hotel staff that he'd been badly burned. They became suspicious, though, and checked his room and found a gun. Gardner fought back but was arrested. They had a doctor remove his bandages because he said he was badly burned to prove who he was. And there he was. Fine. No burns. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. (laughs) This time, he finally reached his destination to McNeil Island Prison. No escapes. Hmm. After six weeks at McNeil, he he convinced two other prisoners that he had paid off the guards in the guard tower. On Labor Day, September 5th, 1921, during a baseball game, Gardner yelled, Now! during the fifth inning when someone hit a fly ball into center field. As the guards' eyes watched the ball, what is wrong with these people? Gardner, Bogart, and Impen ran 300 yards to a barbed wire fence where Gardner had cut a hole. (laughs) The three men made it to the field as bullets whizzed past their heads. Gardner was actually shot in the leg, but hid behind some cows. He saw Bogart fall, badly wounded, and Impen had been shot dead. His dying words were, uh, Gardner, oh, his dying words were, Gardner told us those fellows in the tower couldn't hit the broad broad side (laughs) of a barn. What a liar. Yep. Bogart told officers that Gardner had deceived them and used them as decoys so he could get away. 
that's pretty smart. He's pretty smart, yeah. A manhunt ensued, and they scoured the beaches and investigated every boat on the shoreline. Garner was living in a prison barn, drinking cow milk. Mm. Um, Then he swam to Fox Island, where he lived off fruit uh, in the orchards. Warren Maloney believed Gardner was still on the island, but Gardner was already on his way to Oregon. Gardner sent a letter to the Seattle newspaper stating, come and get me. This guy. I love him. Yeah. Um, So now he was the most wanted gangster and was committing crimes in Arizona. He was captured by a mail clerk during a train robbery in Phoenix in the fall of 1921 and was actually sentenced to an additional 25 years at Leavenworth. Gardner bragged, Leavenworth will never hold me. (laughs) Gardner was sent to Atlanta prison, which was the toughest prison in the country. In 1926, he tried to escape by tunneling under the wall. The next year, he led a prison escape with two revolvers holding the captain and two guards hostage. The plan failed, and he was sent to solitary confinement for 20 months for shooting at the officers. I would say he just needs to be there. Yeah. He's a conspirator. (laughs) Uh, when he came out, he was sent to a mental hospital in Washington, D.C., where he became a, began a hunger strike and threatened suicide. He was transferred to Leavenworth Annex Prison in 1930, then transferred to Alcatraz in 1934, where he became inmate AZ-110. Gardner described Alcatraz as the toughest, hardest place in the world. While he was there, his wife divorced him, huh. which is tough. I mean, she's stuck with him by everything else, but Alcatraz say. was like, no, we can't do this anymore. There's water between us. <laughs> he uh, supervised at the mat shop, and with another inmate, Ralph Rowe, it was rumored they were planning an escape. Ted Cole and Ralph Rowe did escape in 1937, but disappeared and are assumed to have drowned. Gardner was released on June 17, 1938, after his appeal for clemency was approved. He actually published an uh, autobiography called Helcatras, clever, Mm -hmm. still, um, which talks about his stint with the law and his relationships with Al Capone, Machine Gun Kelly, and others. It was the first account of life inside Alcatraz. On January 10th, 1940, police found Gardner dead at age 56 by suicide from cyanide fumes and tear gas at the Hotel Governor in San Francisco. He had notes of his final wishes and how he wanted his body to be disposed of. He also begged not to mention the name of his daughter to try to give her a fresh start and not be connected to a bad name. That's sad. He doesn't seem like, well. Looking at him, he looks like just a regular dad. Yeah, he does. Like in his 40s. He's a thoughtful guy, kind of. Yeah. For his family, at least. Yeah. And he's smart. So the next one is Robert the Birdman of Alcatraz Stroud. Uh, Robert Stroud was the most famous inmate at Alcatraz. In 1909, he murdered a bartender who did not pay a prostitute he was pimping in Alaska. I've never thought of Alaska and been like, pimps. And prostitutes, how cold would they be? Cold. I wonder what, like, (laughs) their outfit would be to, like, lure people. Like a parka? All fur. Ooh, yeah. They got some ankles showing. Ankles is popping. Maybe, like, a (laughs) neck from time to time. (laughs) Hmm. Um, After shooting the bartender, he stole his wallet so he could be paid for their services. In 1911, Stroud was convicted of manslaughter and was sentenced to McNeil Island Prison, or McNeil Island, a prison in Washington State, where he was difficult and violent. He assaulted a hospital orderly who reported him to the administration for trying to get drugs 
from them uh, with threats. He also stabbed a fellow inmate, so that's not good. Nope. He received an additional six months to his sentence and was transferred to Leavenworth in Kansas. So he stabbed a guy and only got six months for it? I mean, I feel like he's got a code. Get paid for what you work. <laughs> bitches get snitches. Wait, what is it? Stitches That's... get bitches. Bitches get stitches. Bitches get... Snitches get stitches. Yeah. He <laughs> said stitches get bitches. <laughs> Dang. I mean... Different world. That's... He's got a code of ethics. I mean, yeah, just don't fuck him over and then you won't get stabbed. Exactly. But I guess... I just said he stabbed a fellow inmate, so I don't know what he that guy did. must have done something wrong. <laughs> I didn't pay him. Maybe. Shit. In 1916, Stroud was denied a visit with his brother and stabbed a guard to death in front of 1,100 inmates in the mess hall. Mm. Don't know why I laughed. That's, Sorry. That was very rude. rude. But yeah, poor guard. I mean, that's, that's a statement, I would say. Uh, yeah. He was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to death by hanging. He was to await his fate in solitary confinement. His mother begged for his death sentence to be revoked, and in 1920, President Woodrow Wilson changed his death sentence to life in prison without the possibility of parole and in seg- a segregation unit. That's how, that's worse, I feel. Being alive the rest of your life by yourself. And just knowing, yeah, you're... There forever. Yeah, that would suck. Yeah. While in Leavenworth, he found an injured bird in the rec yard and began to take an in- interest in canaries. He was allowed to breed birds and maintain a lab inside the two connected segregation cells. They allowed this because they thought it was a productive use of time. Stroud wrote two books on canaries and their diseases, having raised 300 birds in his cells. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. He also developed and marked medicines for various bird ailments. Several years after his research started, guards discovered some of the equipment he had requested mm-hmm. was being used to construct and to or construct a still to make alcohol. Smart guy. <laughs> yeah. If and, you're going to be in prison the rest of your life, you might as well be drunk. True. Makes the time go by faster. Yeah. <laughs> in 1942, Stroud was transferred to Alcatraz, where he spent the next 17 years. Six were in seven, segregation in D-block and 11 years in the prison hospital. In 1959, he was transferred to a medical center uh, prison in Springfield, Missouri. In November, or, well, sorry. November 21st, 1963, he was found dead of natural causes. Stroud had never seen the movie Birdman of Alcatraz, played by Burt Lancaster, who played him as a mild-mannered and humane. Which, I mean... It's worse things to be, I guess. He looked like a creeper. He does look very creepy. Yeah. But, yeah, he's... You can't really just stab a prison guard and be like, live a normal life. Right. So... At least he, I guess, I'm surprised they let him do that, though. Raise the birds? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't at Alcatraz, though. No, but it's just, I don't know. That's kind of a weird thing to let someone do. Yeah. Hmm. But, I don't know. So I think we're going to stop it there for this week. It looks like this is about halfway through the notes. I know it's a little bit shorter than an hour, but we don't want one episode to be an hour and the next one to be 30 minutes, so. Yeah. So next week, we will talk about the Battle of Alcatraz, which is very crazy. Um, and then some more of the famous inmates. We'll discuss, um, like, what a prison, regular prison day would be for these guys. What kind of stuff they were given when they first came to the, the rock. Um, and some just fun facts and paranormal mm. things. So, um, so yeah, so stay tuned for next week where we discuss part two. Part two. Duh.
yeah. Um, what else do we got to say? Just visit us on mysteryhistorypodcast.com. Yeah. Check out our chef. Chef. <laughs> our chef. Um, give us, review us, give us five stars. Rate, review, subscribe, yep. all that good stuff. Send us an email or a video. Or audio. no, just kidding. Audio message. You could send us a video. I'd yeah. watch it. I'd watch it. Yeah, send us some like, uh, or you can send us a voice message on Instagram even. Just yeah. talk to us and we'll play it on the, the er. Yeah. Next episode, I want to hear some other talk. people talk besides this guy yeah. and me. So, all right. Well, we will see you all next week for episode two. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye. Bye.